Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Picking and Putting. I'm here in the South Charlotte studios, Dr. Z here with Liberty Bill. And we got a shout out to Liberty Bill because today is his birthday. Happy birthday, Liberty. 37, baby. Let's go. Yeah, baby. You're older than dirt, and I ain't talking about how old I am. I'm not going there. Well, today we decided we our topic would be turn, turn, turn. Now, you can put that in baseball, golf, any sport you want. But we're going to start. NASCAR. Yeah, NASCAR. Yeah, turn left. But we're <laughs> occasionally they turn right on a road course. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this. We're going to start out with a little music stuff. We're going to talk about Turn, 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 which is a song written by Pete Seeger in 59, uh, which we, for you old folks, was then made a hit by a group called The Birds in 65. But he originally wrote it, um, and uh, it was sung by a group called The Limelighters in 62. Okay, and he wrote it. And what's what's great about it in the lyrics of the song, he only wrote six words. So I'll get to the why that's important a little later. But the whole song, turn, 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 tis a season, da-da-da-da-da, is from the book of Ecclesiastes, verses one through eight, the old testament. It is verbatim from the the wow. um, uh, St. James, St. James for St. John, which, which version? I forget. So no copyright issues there. Huh? Yeah, there's no copyright issues because, uh, yeah, and that's what makes it famous. It is the number one song for having the oldest lyrics because the lyrics are accredited to King Solomon, who wrote them wow. in, in the 10th century B.C. <laughs> that's so but Pete cool. Singer wrote six verses in the 20th century. So so there's a combo and who gets the royalties. So I, I get to that. That's, a, that's kind of a, a cute little thing about it. So. He released it. They released it. Uh, the Birds took it as a song in 65 and they took it to number one. Uh, and it was number three in Canada, number six in England or something. But in the United States, it was number one. And the reason he wrote this song was for world peace. OK, now this was the 60s. It was a lot disruptive like it is now, you know, Vietnam War and, uh, you know, riots and stuff. There was all sorts of stuff that was quite similar. Um, so he wrote it for world peace. And the only line he wrote was a time for peace, uh, a time, uh, let's see, it's a time for peace. I, I swear it's not too late. And he wrote turn, 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 but for turn, 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 he only takes credit for one word because he used it three times. <laughs> so he said, I can't take credit for three words on that one. So I only took credit <laughs> for one. So where I wanted to go with this is there are two interesting facts. One, the handwritten lyrics. It's like every other songwriter. He wrote this thing in 15 minutes. I don't know what he was thinking about. He was thinking about world peace and he just thought of the book Ecclesiastes. He's, he's biblical, I guess. And, and he came up with the song and boom, boom, boom. And uh, his lyrics, I don't know what, what the association is here, but were donated to NYU in 2007 from the American Communist Party. Okay. Okay. There you go. There's a tidbit nobody knew. I, I oh, wow. Know, except for King Solomon being the co-writer. You didn't know that. So we got King Solomon. We got the communists. This yeah. thing is big. So here's the deal. So with the royalties in 2003, he talked about the royalties from the song. Now remember, this was 65 or he wrote it in 59. 
and he took 50% of the royalties, 45% of the lyric royalties. He decided he should give them back to the King James Version people in London. Wow. And then he said, well, why would I do that? Why didn't I just give it back to the country where all this started? So he gave it to Israel for uh, the demolition of homes that they, to stop the demolition of, of native homes in Israel. A thoughtful guy. Yeah. And then he kept 5% for himself because he wrote six words. I got to change my lighting here real quick. Continue. Okay. Well, so going on with this, it, there was a couple more things I want to say is that uh, the, the musical arrangement was done by a guy named Jim McGuinn, who did it in 63. And actually, what's interesting about these songs is, you know, he wrote it in 59. He did it for Judy Collins. And she recorded it on an album like 63, Limelighters in 62, and then The Birds in 65. Like, you know how they do, do songs over and over again. So um, Until somebody gets it cooking. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's crazy. They, they, their master took 78 takes over five years or over five days. And this song has appeared in Forrest Gump. Yes. And it also appeared in Ken, Ken Burns' Vietnam documentary. Oh, Ken Burns. Great. Last thing I'll say about that is the, the name of the band, the guys in the band were Jim McGuinn, Gene Clark, David Crosby, which I thought was interesting. I didn't remember ah. that. Chris Hillman and Michael Clark. And those were the guys that were members of the band. And those are the guys. That's why I turn, turn, turn. And uh, that gives you a little background musical history to start out the show. I didn't realize David Crosby was a part of the birds. Yeah, no, I neither did I. That's you know, you always go back and find out little things about that, and then you find out some guy wrote this while playing his guitar in the bathroom or something. You know, I mean, it's always crazy. So while he wrote the lyrics in that, this other fe fella did really did the musical part of it and then put the lyrics to it. And, uh, and it was considered a folk song, but then yeah. the bird, the birds were considered, were a transitional group. You know, the Beatles came in 64 and they were considered a transitional group with, um, called folk rock. And there were, you know, Judy Collins was famous for that kind of thing. You know, it's like today where you have crossovers from country and Western to, to popular music back then it was crossovers from like the mamas and papas people who sang uh california dreaming yeah well they crossed over that's also on the forrest gump soundtrack there you go we got forrest <laughs> gump you know he's going baby so that when i think of turn 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 i actually think of forrest gump i saw that movie when i was probably what 12 13 years old and i was that soundtrack Hound Dog, Walk Right In, Blowing in the Wind, Fortunate Son, R-A-S-P-E-C-T, For What It's Worth, Mrs. Robinson, Turn, 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 <laughs> Joy, I mean, Sweet Home Alabama, Running on Empty, Go Your Own Way. That soundtrack, every kid needs to listen to that soundtrack to get what I think oh. is the golden era of music. Oh, the best scenes in Forrest Gumper when he runs out the end of the Alabama football stadium and just keep run, Forrest, run. And then, and then when he's sitting on the at the end, I think it's the end where the feather, his mother is passed. Yes, yes, that's the very end, yes. And, and the feather passes him by and, and on the bus stop. That was a great movie. You're, there's no question. It's a really good movie and a good way to kind of teach the kids the history of that whole era. Well, I had, I had, I did, I forgot my shout outs besides you for happy birthday. I had one for John Rom because I thought 
he he won over he won the press conference for the rest of his life because of how he dealt with his positive test. He came across the the rest of us on Twitter and the world were so angry and thought he'd gotten so screwed over. And he came out and said it was the protocol. I followed it. Yes, it was a life lesson, but I'm moving on and I'm having a good day and I'm real excited to be here. I mean, he was wonderful. So shout out to him. And the other shout out I have to give is to King Solomon because he he (laughs) wrote some great lyrics for this song. So way to go, King. I know you're not listening. Maybe you are listening. I don't know. But uh, uh, for all you folks out there, that's who wrote the lyrics. What do you want to talk about next, Billy? Or you want to, you know? I'll give my shout out, which will segue into a topic I want to get your thoughts on. Michael Lewis, author of Moneyball, 17 years ago yesterday, that book was released. That is a formative piece of literature in how sports are evaluated by front offices and consumed by fans. And it's gotten so crazy in baseball where all of a sudden they're going to, in the middle of the season, this Monday, June 21st, they're finally going to enforce a rule they've had on the books over 100 years regarding sticky substances on the ball. Well, hey, you go back to Warren Spahn, I mean, and, and Koufax and Dry. All these guys had a little sandpaper up here, a little Vaseline. Sunscreen. A little, you know, I mean, they're never going to get that out of baseball. Hell, is it? The guys, will, you know, the guy can stick his thumb inside his belt loop, you know, greet oil his belt. You know, I don't know. But I love that. I mean, the one I heard about this latest thing where they were getting such spin rates was they were using sandpaper somehow. Oh, and they're I, using like spider tack. Like you see those infomercials of the strongest man picking up a concrete brick and it's staying attached to the hand. Yeah. They're using that. They're using Pelican grip, which is similar. They're using Coca-Cola mixed with chemicals, creating like a bubbly, like crazy toxic substance. They've gone, they literally teams are employing chemists. Well, to come up with stuff. it's like the Nuxall brothers who back in the day threw knuckleballs. They used, um, I want to say some of those guys use just uh, emery boards. You the know, Vaseline, the, yeah. No, the little things that women use to make their nails. Oh, the nail good. thing, yeah. Yeah, the nail thing. But they'd have just a little one, and it might be in their pocket, and they just, you know, and they get their nails real sharp, and then they dig the ball, you know. So now well, they're going to try to enforce it. probably Because of the data and the analytics, you don't really have to learn how to pitch anymore. If you think about like a Greg Maddox, right, he used to – work the corners, change speeds. Nowadays, it's throw it as hard as you can, and then your breaking ball, get as much spin as possible. Who cares where it lands? So these guys aren't, and this is all data-driven. They're doing this in labs, and it's really not pitching, and it's gotten out of control where the strikeouts are out of control. But I wonder for you, you, my first question is, if 90% of pitchers are using substances, is it really cheating? Oh, well, because the rules there. Yeah, I know. Well, this is like, hey, no, wait a second. You of all people know the ones what sport has unwritten rules. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, you hit our guy. We're going to kill you tomorrow. You know, that's all BS. Baseball's always had that. It's like the NBA right now. They're arguing about hard fought fouls. Go back and watch the Pistons. 
Holy cow. The bad boys. Bill Lambeer, he made he made the guy at, from Duke hitting on uh, the North Carolina guy look like a playground basketball. I mean, they were just beat him. You come inside, little guard, we're going to kill you, you know. So now you got this little guy in Atlanta, and he goes in. If he gets touched, they'll call a foul. And, you know, anyways, I don't know with, with baseball with that. I um, I think it's good luck enforcing it, I guess. They, well, they, no. The only way they – I heard this talked about on PTI. The only way they're going to enforce it is if, you know, right now they get a 10-day suspension with pay. The only way it happens is if they suspend the manager for like 60 days and the player for 30 days, they, they make it a written, you can't ever do financials. I mean, that's like, okay, we're going to find Michael Jordan, $25,000. Oh, gee, you know, $25 to him is like a penny. So the fine, the, the monetary fines, I don't get, but uh, we'll see. I mean, well, and I wonder they, about adopting it mid-season. Oh yeah, well, that's that's kind of my issue. And if you kind of take a big, high-level look at this, Major League Baseball bought the company that owns Rawlings. Major League Baseball has 100% autonomy on the manufacturing of the ball. That said, all these pitchers complain it's like picking up a cue ball from your billiards game. So the other night, Tyler Glass now, one of the best young pitchers in baseball, messed up his UCL in his elbow because he didn't use a substance the last two starts because he was worried about this upcoming rule. So his point is, how the hell can you do this in the middle of the season, which, oh, by the way, their CBA, the CBA, their labor deal expires at the end of the year. So my cynical view the commissioner of baseball got to power by winning negotiations over the union. He was Bud Selig's right-hand man during the strike. He basically caused the strike. My cynical view is they're ramming this through in the middle of the year to try to divide the labor union, the pitchers and the hitters, with negotiations coming up. And I'm really worried about a work stoppage in baseball. And if you're a 10, 11, 12-year-old, another work stoppage, that's, that is not a good way to endear fans. Well, you know, yeah, baseball, baseball with that. I mean, what happened was they, they become, like you said, throw it a hundred miles an hour and guys either hit a home run or strike out, which yep. was the last couple of years. So they wanted to bring back the, you know, the infield play and all that. So they did this with the ball. Then they figured out that the hitting, if you look at the statistics, they've dropped down to, you know, league average, like low two hundreds or something. Yeah. So, oh, it's all okay. time low. So they said, oh, well, we better make a change and make it, you know, go back and allow – to do it in the middle of the year. Yeah, That's well, and here, here's my argument about baseball. Two things, two points. One is I go back to this point about the ball. I say the same thing with golf. I say the same – who has who has the only ball in professional sports that is consistent across all – all, all games, all events, tennis. Yeah. You play a Wilson, a Spalding tennis ball, they got to be the same. Okay. You never hear about issues either with those and balls. Golf, golf, they make them. In, now, they've gotten hotter and they go farther and yada, yada, but they all have to adhere to the same specifications. So baseball needs to do the same. If they're using that baseball in major league sports, then they ought to be using it in little league. And I just, I just, I'm sorry. I, you know, no, that's, and it's that easy. They own the company, make the ball so the pitchers can grip it. They don't have to use these substances and move on. 
Yeah. And, and baseball, baseball in terms of youth, I don't, they, they lost the youth about a generation ago when they went to only playing game, you know, all games in the playoffs and everything are at eight 30 at night. And, you know, you got an eight year old who loves baseball. Your son will grow up loving baseball, but he won't be able to stay awake to watch the games. And I think, I think they, they lost, they had a thing in the papers this week about, well, the number of blacks in baseballs dropping. Well, that's because what they want to do is all play in the NBA. That's the, that's the sport. When you're a sports youth in a big city, you don't think about playing baseball pickup at the park. You think about playing basketball. It's, it's easier access and Hispanic Latin America has really. They love baseball. Yeah. Baseball. So I, I think it's bigger than that. I, I don't know about that part of it, but back to the, back to the book, which is a good point. That, that has, that's a, a watershed moment in sports in, in the fact that, they brought it to baseball with Billy Bean baseball stuff. Well, they've brought it to every sport. My God, yep. if you don't think Bryson DeChambeau is, is probably read that book and studied it and probably has it memorized. And we were talking to Robert Carlson about it, and he kind of agreed. I think we're on the same page here where the analytics and data has gone too far. We need more of the intuition. And he was saying he's more of the intuition. Well, I know it from uh, – he won't listen to this show, but I know it from playing with my own son. He's so analytical. They'll have a 35-yard chip, and he's using the radar gun. I'm going, it's 30 yards. <laughs> it's a field shot, son. It's not – it's – you don't – now, I get it. You know, uh, the engineer who taught all the guys to hit wedges, you know, take it to 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. That's great. And so these guys know I can hit it 102 yards when I swing it to nine. You know, that's their living. So more kudos to them. But these things where they're getting out yard and they're it, the PGA Tour is going to disallow yardage books on the greens, yep. which, is, which is absolutely necessary. These guys get practice rounds. They get out, go out and play. <laughs> they don't need to pull out a little book that shows all the arrows going downhill. Oh, OK, this must break to the right, you know. Oh, I agree. Whole, I think every sport, I don't want quarterbacks. I don't think they should have that little – thing on their sleeve with all the plays baseball they shouldn't have all the notes you should be able to memorize and use what's in here well yeah well football 290 side slide 42 accept it half the guys out there don't know what the hell the guy said he just said go out there and turn left you know i mean th there's this, and they got the guy talking in the head now the quarterback you know to have a to, good golly johnny unitas would be or or <laughs> the the most famous quarterback and this is just a historical note was I think it was a PhD in mathematics was Frank Ryan who played for the Cleveland Browns in the sixties. And he, he was the first guy you should go back and study him. He was the first guy that kind of put all this together, but of course his backfield was uh, Jim Brown. And then of course he followed him up with a guy named Leroy Kelly. So two hall of fame running backs. He, he was okay. He could hand it out to them 90% of the time. So that's, that's how he audible. That's another stuff, but he was a PhD in math. That's anyway, interesting. I think I think yeah, changing the rules in midseason for them is is crazy. I, um, I I was interested when I started thinking about this. Not that I'm a tennis buff, but I was trying to think. You know, tennis doesn't lend itself as much to to the statistical thing, at least as far as unless it's first serve, second serve. You know, stay on the back line. I don't know, um, but it probably doesn't lend itself as much to the statistical stuff as the other sports do. 
Yeah, the one thing with tennis, I would say there's no reason they shouldn't be using the automated in or out of bounds. I mean, of all sports, you shouldn't rely on the human eye to determine whether well, the because, ball is well, and can we talk to football about that? Exactly. Oh, it applies to everything. In basketball, the three-point line. I mean, you, you've got a you've got a, a rectangular end zone, and you've got goalposts that go like this. And all you got to do is you can do it with a laser. I mean, I'm going. Come on, it's not that hard. And it's not that hard. But I do get the part about um, um, the human factor for some of these sports, you do need some subjectivity in basketball referees and you do need it in baseball. A blend. Referees. You need a blend. And if you don't have the human component, it becomes, it'll become boring. Yeah. Because if the, if the referee, can, if, the, if the manager can't go out and Billy, Billy Martin, the first base pad and throw it out in the outfield and spit and do stuff. What fun is it? He can't argue with a computer. So, so yeah, I know. I think that, I think I, I agree with you. I, I, and I do agree with you on that part. Um, uh, as, as I told you with the NBA, uh, their playoffs have been ruined by injuries. And what did we both say? You know, they argue they've had this whole thing about concussions in the NFL and, and they've kind of been put under the gun to try to at least start to make some safe. It's like, it took, it could, it took the death of Dale Earnhardt to make NASCAR change rules. Yep. It's always and, way too late. And, and 20 years later, everybody will say, okay, well, all those changes were great. And I think, I think the thing about, uh, uh, the other sports, it's the same way you have to have events that happen. I, I don't know about um, uh, basketball. I think they need to shorten their season and not, you know, they've, they just screwed themselves up over the dollar this year. So, no, but everybody beats up on football. You don't think there's concussions in hockey. You don't think there's concussions in soccer. Like you don't think volleyball, like this applies to more than football. Everybody just loves to rip on football. And well, that, certainly that's has some an, issues. And that's an interesting thing because they haven't talked about soccer these kids start playing when they're six years old and heading. Now they're not great headers of the ball, but they shouldn't be. <laughs> if you feel, if you go out, go out and take a soccer ball and head it in your yard and see if it doesn't hurt a little bit. We did when I was like ten years old. We did that at practice. I I assume they're not doing that anymore. It should be illegal. It should be like a handball. Your ball should not touch the head until you're in high school. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And until you're at a level where, yeah, that's true. That's a that's a good point. You know, that's a you know, but. I don't know if they'll if they'll change that or not. I, I, I do, I do, I do like the the backing off from um, um, some of the stuff in this in this sport behind us with golf. I I um, I think it's okay for these guys to use launch monitors and all that. And baseball is the same thing. It's it the yep, hitting, it is. I mean, the hitting coach I'm sure is standing there with the same equipment that they have in golf trying to reduce your spin rate, increase your launch angle, because that's how you get it over the, over the, and, over the, and your exit velocity. Yep. That's all yeah. it is. It's the it's angle just, the ball comes and the velocity it goes off the, the club or the bat. It's pure physics, you know, it's crazy. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I think that's fine. And I'm, I'm, I just, I'm glad that they're making changes, but, uh, I think we've gone way overboard on the statistical side of it. So, 
But it's a good thing that you brought up that book, and it's goofy to change in midseason. And the other thing is, I'll come back to you in two years, and somebody will still find a way to (laughs) – they'll they'll still – for you folks on on Spotify, Apple, I'm checking my hat for a little grease to throw that that curveball sinker or whatever. So anything else you wanted to talk about, Billy? Oh, I think I'm just going to find some time to listen to that Forrest Gump soundtrack sooner than later. <laughs> yeah, I got I got to I got to do that. Well, I got I got now for quote, I got to pull it out here. Sorry folks on uh, YouTube. I got I got my notes here. Uh, I got a quote from Pete Seeger who wrote who wrote turn turn turn. I should have gotten a quote from King Solomon, but he wasn't available. So <laughs> And, and there's some argument about whether this is what's interesting about that kind of stuff. There's argument about whether those verses were written in 10, 10th century BC or the third century BC. Wow. Now sit, think where we're sitting right now. And you and I are arguing about some guy who wrote about baseball in 1300 or did he write about it in 1500? Hell, I don't know who wrote about something in 1958. What's exactly. that? <laughs> you know, crazy, the history part. Well, anyways, Pete Seeger, and this is a good quote, folks. This is, this is written by a man. Think about this. This is probably 60 years ago. He said, it's a very important thing to learn to talk to people you disagree with. Yeah. You know, I think I think my my point to that would be people need to learn to listen better and not listen with the idea of thinking about what they're going to say next. Just yep, find yeah. common ground. Find and common ground. That and, piggybacks off Neil Young too, admitting that he shouldn't have been as condescending when he was trying to get. Oh, him. I know. Yeah, wasn't, yeah. Wasn't that crazy? Yeah, what? those are those are two very good points. Well, and you know, the musical lyrics of all these songs, uh, especially in the 60s, um, a lot of them were written with, with that kind of intent, the mindset. Thoughtful, yep. Now, a lot of them were written like, na, 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 You know, they just say, na, 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 22 times. Hey, 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 goodbye. Yeah, and it's a great, it's a number one hit, so there you go. Well, all you folks out there, enjoy the U.S. Open behind me. It's probably, I didn't watch today yet, but it's probably in a fog delay again. Um, that marine layers, that, that, that's a spectacular setting. I'd love to go there. And I'm, I'm sure I heard uh, just in passing before we go, uh, uh, Bell, uh Bello, the, the Spaniard, and he was interviewed. He had a good round yesterday. And he said, I just love coming here. It's between this and Pebble Beach. The setting is so spectacular. You have to make sure you don't fall asleep just looking out at these people hang gliding over the beach. And I'm so sure because cool. on television. And the other thing to, to keep in mind when you watch a show is watch how they use the drones. You know, I, I think NBC that, does a great job. Yeah. they. Well, I think the technology of using those drones. In fact, in baseball, I want them to use the drones. Uh over on Waveland and uh, in the right field, right field, over the right field fence at uh, San Francisco, where you can just watch. Oh, yeah. They're just out put, there in the kayaks. We'll call it the kayak drone ball thing. That's, that's Willie McCovey Cove out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So wouldn't it be cool to have those? Well, Bill, you have a good day. Good luck with everything. And uh, 
Happy birthday once again, and we'll see you next time on uh, Picking and Putting. Oh, by the way, push all the buttons, ring all the bells, subscribe. Subscribe. And in the words of Mike Ditka, thank you, thank you, and go Bears. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds good. Go Bears. Bears. See you later, folks. Bye.